You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Wednesday, and in these episodes, Sangram and myself, James Carberry, focus on personal development. We'll share books and other resources that are helping us get a little bit better every single day. And remember, like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. So this session is entitled ABM 360. I'd love to start first by having each of you define what ABM 360 means to you. Um, Daryl, why don't we start with you? ABM 360 is a wonderful term because I got to tell you, honestly, it was the most confusing thing for me when I started getting my head around ABM because you think ABM is account-based marketing. Therefore, it's the domain of just marketing, right? That's what you think. Yet the fact of the matter is when you start rolling it out, you realize that the premise of account base, emphasis there, applies across the entire organization. It applies to customer success, to support, to sales, to marketing. So that was the, and in fact, the biggest challenge we had rolling it out was defining what was sales role in account-based marketing. I mean, it's just the case of marketing gives all the leads and here you go. So the whole 360 thing, opened up some amazing conversations because all of a sudden you start to realize, you know, you went in thinking you're going to roll something out this way. And, and as you do it, you're like, well, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. And, uh, and it changes the game. So for us, 360, it just means it's across the entire organization, not just marketing. Anamika? Yeah. So um, to Daryl's point, I would say ABM 360 um, could be, you know, one of those. The other, uh, the, the other part of, to me, ABM 360 is that it's like a cycle, the entire ABM, right? It's like, it starts with your insights of the customer and then it goes to like, you know, how truly you understand your customers. And then you bring out the messages, which is very much aligned to your customer. And then you kind of serve it on a platter where they kind of digest those information where you kind of, you know, then understand what's the ROI out of this. So it's like an entire circle that I see as an ABM. To me, that is ABM 360 as well. The other side of looking to it would be ABM cannot work in silo, you know, that it needs to be a truly one team approach. And when I say one team, it doesn't just mean in today's world, it doesn't just mean sales and marketing. It is beyond sales and marketing. In my mind, it is about bringing the village together, which is your delivery, which is your value prop owner, your BD, your pre-sales. When you get into your marketing colleague side of it, it is like your events team, your social media team, your campaigns team, you name it, right? you analyst team. So you really need to bring all of them together to bring that one true experience to your client and the customer that who are you? What do you stand for? Why are you my, why are you going to be my wise partner? How can I, in this noisy world, how can I identify Fujitsu or Fujitsu kind of organization who's going to come, come and help me, right? So I think there could be three different meanings to even 360 just to kind of going to give you a perspective, Alex. One is like, ABM is not just for any size of organization, right? It's not just like it, only the large organization should be practicing ABM. No, it could be, it can apply to any size of the organization. It could pr- apply to either services or the product, like you know, any company who's selling either services or product or a mix of it. So you really need to, you really need to identify how do you want to bring this to practice. And it, it has to like, you know, look into the full circle, what I just described, like, you know, from inside to how you serve and what's the ROI. And then you need to bring the village together. So to me, it's like 
it's like a you know a sphere. <laughs> I look at like ABM, right? So um, that's what I think about ABM three sixty. Yeah, Alex, and what, I, I want to throw it back on you, Alex. How do you, and I know you're just our you know capable moderator, but when you say ABM three sixty, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, in, in, in addition to a lot of what the both of you already said, it's also about looking at ABM throughout the entire revenue cycle. So, yes. you, right, because for so many companies, um, it's not just about new logos or acquisition. With what's going on with this pandemic, retention has been more important than ever, right? So, and the Anamika, I'm, I'm excited to get into customer marketing and your use of it for customer marketing. But so you've got the acquisition and you've got the retention. And then the piece that I would say in between, which is often, um, I wouldn't say missed, but often not prioritized is acceleration. In many cases, typically in enterprise type selling where you have longer sales cycles, applying an ABM approach can really increase or accelerate the time with which something's in the pipeline and comes through the pipeline. So I would add to, I would add to what you guys have outlined that point as well, that it can be used across the entire continuum. And sometimes, and we'll, we'll get into talking like how to start with ABM. Sometimes it's easier to start with a customer marketing program or something around retention and expansion um, versus acquisition. And I love that. I mean, the whole point, if I were to say to somebody, just point blank, what, have you ever considered using account-based marketing to manage your churn? And when you say that, they're, 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 they're like head explodes because they're like, that's not what it's for. You're like, that's totally what it can be used for. You know, you're not limited to just new customer acquisition. So you ladies are smart, smart, smart. <laughs> so are you, Daryl. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it took you a long time to say that, but that's okay. I, I appreciate, I mean, I baited you and you took a really long time, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we've got, so we've got, we've got a lot of different uh, types of people that are going to listen in on this panel. And all, some of them, if you look at the continuum and Anamika, I think you spoke to it, kind of the maturity of, of ABM expertise, so to speak. We've got some that are a little bit more advanced and others that are just getting started. As both of you were getting started and Anamika, I'd love to start with you. Like, what was it about ABM that got your attention? Why did you think it would be such a strategic move that would yield the, the results that it has for you? So for us here at Fujitsu, um, you know, this was one of the strategic um, approach we had to put because, you know, I know you, you might have heard the term, 80% of our business comes from the 20% of our clients, right? It is absolutely 100% true in our case, right? So there's 20% of our clients, which brings that 80% of the revenue to us. And it was very important for us to be kind of, you know, managing um, them um, because we wanted to go deep into our relationship, right? As we kind of enhance the reputation while, while kind of you know, adding that dot into the revenue. So there you go, relationship, reputation, and revenue, right? So that's, that's where, how I kind of you know, attach every action we kind of take into these accounts. So um, that, that, was the, that was actually the need, like in a strategic uh, direction, the company direction where we wanted to put our bets on, like, you know, this is the client who we really want to develop relationship and ABM is the must here, right? So um, here at Fujitsu, um, I started ABM with, like, if you, if you know the three tiers of ABM, which is one-to-one, one-to-few, and then one-to-many, right? So uh -huh. here at, at Fujitsu, 
you know, my, my first action was to define, what do you mean by one-to-one, right? I know there are many companies who are practicing ABM in the sense and they'll say we are doing ABM, but, you know, sometimes I hear, you know, they're doing ABM to one, two, 2,500 clients, but how? Right. So there is a way I'm sure that they might be applying certain tactics to reach out to those being personalized and customized still. And that's where technology comes into the picture. But when I started the practice in Fujitsu, we were still at the stage of like going manual. So it's like we, we had we had like in our ABM manager focus, like, you know, one ABM manager to four accounts. And, um, uh, you know, it, it was very essential for me to kind of define what does what does that one to one means, right? So if I can actually, I, I love this definition, which I put forth to my sales and the, the sales leader and the marketing leaders is that account based marketing is a long term strategic approach. And I literally want to kind of highlight that it's, it's not a short term campaign time, right, that you kind of put it's a long term strategic approach. That requires marketing and sales, and I talked about it's beyond marketing and sales, to work as partners to achieve just one goal. And that one goal is like opening door or deepening engagement. So you can kind of define it's like land or expand, right? It could be either of those as, as you speak in the high growth account. So you know what your high growth accounts look like, where you want to put your bets on, right? So you need, really need to spend time understanding which are my, those five or 10 accounts where I really want to get into? Let's take the baby step with those and then kind of scale ABM to one to few or one to many, bringing the right um, technology into the mix. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's what I would say. So I'm interested in, in when you got started with ABM and you were looking at the one to few, one to, one to one, one to few, one to many. Tell the audience what kinds of things you did to get started. Um, the first, for, the first and the foremost was to make sure that every person who is engaged with that ABM approach has the similar definition of ABM, right? They understand what is ABM. And that is like, you know, the culture, the attitude, the engagement approach, which is very essential for your ABM to be successful. So when I started ABM, a few things I started doing here uh, was, you know, running webinars. For, the, for, the, for our sales and team. So uh, sometimes it was monthly. Most of the time, like I started with the monthly where we have many people kind of joining and kind of listening and listening to the stories and how it happens. Second was more about like, you know, let's connect bi-weekly with the sales, right? So, uh, you know, it is, the journey started there with the sales, like, you know, every bi-weekly call will harp on that and we kind of you know, go through how we are interacting with the accounts in those, um, you know, uh, into the scenario we are having uh, in, in the client right now. Um, but, um, you know, but over the period, it kind of, you know, got into like, you know, day-to-day interaction. So for my AB managers, you know, literally talk to some of the sales team, like on a daily basis, because that's what is needed. So it was very important for us to build that trust. And we started building trust by showing the small successes on the journey as well, because sales can be so impatient, right? So it is very important for you to show the success. So I would say that, you know, First of all, um, understand that you need to build a culture of ABM, the attitude of ABM. Second, start small. So literally go for like, you know, if, if, I, have, if I have like, you know, like I'm just taking example, if you have just two person, right, you know, who, who you want to kind of lead with in terms of the headcounts, go with eight accounts, like four accounts per person. And then, you know, and then make sure that those four accounts are getting the attention needed and you bring the village together to kind of reach out. So it's very, and when you're selecting those accounts, please be specific. Are those the eight accounts which is important to your organization, to you, right? 
the more you're aligned with your organizational goal, the more success and the ROI you can actually prove the value which you are bringing out of ABM, right? So selecting those accounts is very, very important. And the third next step is to make sure that you spend time understanding those accounts, right? Understanding those clients, understanding the actual need of your sales. Because when you do that, that's when you become one team, right? That's when you kind of start delivering the value. And they say, ABM is bringing success to me because they are the one who helped me build this five relationship. Or they are the ones who helped me identify this new opportunities here, right? Where I can go and, and kind of you know, sell more to achieve my quota. So the more you're aligned into these, that's what helps you. So I would say start small, be strategic, know what your organization wants to achieve, and then tie yourself to that when you're, when you're pulling together an ABM strategy. Yeah, for sure. Daryl, would love to hear you weigh in on that. So uh, a couple of things here. So you originally asked, you know, what prompted us to do it? And, yeah. and this is Machiavellian, a little bit, a little bit evil. Uh, the challenge I had was I had a marketing team that was kicking behind. Like they, were, they were amazing. They were truly uh, rock stars at, at inbound. And they would generate MQLs and the high volumes and away we go. And then our sales organization was taking inbound leads and become order takers. Now, that all sounds wonderful. Doesn't life is grand. Except the problem is this, because they were order takers, they weren't strategic. They weren't taking a small deal and turning it into a large deal. I didn't have a big enough average deal size. I didn't have a big enough seat count, which means the ROI and marketing was wrong. Even though we were doing well, it should have been much bigger. How do I change that culture? ABM was the Trojan horse. All right? It truly was a Trojan horse. We brought it in because I needed marketing to be hyper-focused. So taking a page, Jeffrey Moore, crossing the chasm, he says, you know, you've got your your bowling alley, and you focus on one pin at a time. So forcing my marketing team to say, just this industry, this very defined industry, this one pin, who are your one to, you know, one, to one, one to few, one to many? Um, we had a, a target of 540 and 500 that you think we should focus on. And then for the sales reps, by saying you can no longer feed at the trough of inbound, and you actually have to pick up the phone and send proactive emails and cadences to develop the relationships on a three-by-three three grid of all the people in that account. And exactly as Anamika said, you have to live in their head. You have to truly understand it. All of a sudden, what we saw was two things happen. We saw the ROI in marketing, actually the cost of marketing go down, the ROI go up. And then we saw mark, uh, sales all of a sudden get hyper-focused and culturally shift an outbound machine they had focus. Now, what made this all happen? What combined the teams? And Amika said it perfectly. It was getting them together to define the list. You would think defining those lists, one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many, is the easiest thing going. It's not. It's the hardest thing you will ever, ever, ever do because you have to work together as a team. You have to understand your historical purchases and all that wonderful thing. You really need, you think you know your ICP, you don't until huh. you go through this exercise. But once you go through it, the organization as a whole, across all departments and across the executive ranks, massively tighter, and they're all focused on the same outcome. So ABM was intentionally implemented to affect cultural change and a faster ROI on the marketing spend and a bigger uh, result on the sales outcomes. Yeah, for sure. Progress begets progress. And I think, Anamika, you were speaking to it too. That's how you build confidence in aligning together with sales and marketing. And, um, you know, you're so right, Daryl, when you talk about, you know, 
companies think they know their ICP and then they, they undertake a, um, an initiative like this and they realize, you know what, maybe yeah. we need to refine that. So, you know, to, to, to add to that, I would say to go back to your most, for folks out there listening to this, go back to your most successful customers. And what I mean by successful customers, it's those who are the most profitable, uh, those where you have concentration in specific verticals, like Daryl says, where you have concentration in specific segments, because with some businesses, there are, you have like a velocity, uh, high volume segment, and some have an enterprise segment. Some have one or the other, but either way, use the selling cycle as an indication for where for those deals that have closed quicker. Um, use the indication of expansion, those customers that have bought more. Uh, what else is on my list? I kind of ha- I always have sort of like a working list of things to look for. This will be the fodder for you helping to see who your real ideal customer profile is and where you'll then potentially use technology to find lookalike customers. If you don't already have all of them, which, you know, depending on the nature of your business and Amika, it sounds like at Fujitsu, you have like the, the killer list that you're like working on day in and day out. Uh, but for more high velocity type sales where the ocean is fairly limitless, uh, it'll help narrow down those lookalikes. Absolutely. Just one point to add there. Like, you know, when you look at those accounts, usually I've seen people focused on like, you know, they'll talk about propensity to buy of that company, right? But then when you're looking at, make sure that you're extending that into looking propensity to buy from your company. So when I look at the accounts, I'm like, do they have propensity to buy? That is one thing, tick mark. Yes, they do have IT budget. But do they have propensity to buy from Fujitsu? Now, what do you mean by that, right? It's like, that's where you, you, you come and do the marriage, right? It's like you're saying, this is what their need is. And when I go back to my truck, or when I look at like what Fujitsu brings to the table in terms of the value, I see there is a very good match. That's the company who I should be marketing to or putting my bets on. Because yeah. That's where I'll see the value and that's where I'll see the higher ROI, right? So you're making promises to your sales, but you know, when, you, when you're kind of pulling together that list, your sales says, these are the five accounts. Now go back and do the research and say, yeah, 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 I understand those are the ones. But now if you have the right technology, I'll say that it'll take the data with you, take the insights with you. Sometimes marketing is, is not on the table because they don't have data to push back on saying these are not the five accounts, but you have the right data and the insights. Take that data with you and say, I know you said these are the five companies based on their propensity to buy, but look at the data. The data says that these are the three other companies who we don't have on the list is actually looking for Fujitsu, right? Is actually kind of looking for the services we kind of bring in based on the challenges and, you know, the, the problems they're having right now, right? So one thing is to know the insights into what their challenges and the pain points are, but are they looking for you? You know, that's where your inbound comes in, right? So you, you kind of, you know, go out doing marketing, and I call this as a reverse marketing, where you don't have to run behind your customers, but when you know the need, they'll come and search for you. Yes, right? agreed, agreed. I want to get to budgeting and resourcing. Daryl, can we start with you in terms of what makes sense for folks out there in terms of setting a budget, using part of your existing budget, and making sure you're resourcing ABM effectively? So clearly, it's going to be different for every single country. Like, so folks, I feel your pain, all right? 
And there's lots of ways you can do this. So for us, we already had a substantial pay-per-click or search engine marketing budget. So we could mostly redirect those funds, mostly, not, not entirely, uh, towards the ABM initiative. So there wasn't a dramatic consequence on the actual campaign spend. It was just highly focused. Now, that's the money aspect. There's the expectations you have to look at, right? So what's going to happen when you do that is management's going to see the actual results from your, your search engine marketing drip of, drop down a little bit. They're going to say, whoa, panic. We don't have them coming in in the same volume. That's okay, because what you have coming in is actually much more focused. So ironically, because it's more focused, you can actually use fewer resources to actually manage the, 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 the lead flow over to the sales folks from marketing to sales. So that's the first thing. As long as you manage expectations, that's the big thing. So that's your ad spend. Now, do you need a, a tool like a Terminus or a Sixth Sense or a Demand Base or whatever? It sure as hell helps. But if you're a wizard, you can, exactly as Anamika said, start small. You can start small. Where it really helps is when you want to go to scale. Those programs, they do exactly as Anamika said, they start to uncover adjacent areas, opportunities you hadn't thought of. So it's almost like you can, you know, pilot it and then go. But that was the big thing. We were actually able to save money by going to ABM and show a higher ROI, which then allowed us to reallocate our funds either to additional staff or to additional campaigns. The one thing I, will, I need to manage your expectations on, though, is I would suggest it's not an all or nothing. In other words, Topo's got this concept of the double funnel, right? Which means I still have ABM and I still have inbound marketing or traditional demand generation. You got to balance the two. So if you're not sure, you can kind of put your toe in the water in ABM and can keep your traditional you know, demand generation. And as you see results, and you can adjust those levers accordingly. So you can, you can minimize the risk, but if you don't do this, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to establish market share and grow your presence. So you, the outcome, remember the outcome is what Anamika says, is that they want to buy from you because they recognize you are the leader in the space. You represent the least risk. Great. Final question. How, what is the best way to measure ABM and what are the indicators of success? I'll start with you, Anamika, and then we'll move to Daryl. Um, so I usually tee all my um, you know, KPIs out of ABM with just three R's, right? Which is relationship, reputation, and revenue. As clear as that, right? So anything which you do should fall under these three R's, right? Are you able to develop new relationship? Right? Are you able to kind of reach out to the audience who were other, otherwise unknown through your effort or who, who needs to be part of your either decision maker or influencing groups? Are you able to kind of influence that with your program? Um, that there's another side of it's like, if not, spend time in understanding, right? Who are those people I need to build relationship? right? Because that's what you, for me, and this is what I keep telling my team, if I have my 25 audience, like if, if we look at one account and I'm, I'm bringing it to a smaller size so that we understand the value of it. Like if you have one account and you're really trying to deepen your engagement, look at your top 25 decision makers. And if somebody comes as the 26th person to it, that is not important to you. Because you, these are the 25 decision-making influences you need to influence to influence the rest of the 100 or 120, right? Yeah. 
only focus. So it, it all depends on like you were asking the earlier question on the budget as well. You really need to understand what's your budget, right? So I, I can tell you, people think that ABM is expensive. I would say ABM is not. You can do ABM with very, um, you know, I mean, comparatively smaller you know, budget, right? You don't have to go spend thousands. Like you're not doing advertisements on the, on the airport, right? Right. Thank you. Daryl, go. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's, it's exactly, it's revenue. I mean, at relationship, I love it. And you're going to have way more relationships and the reach is going to be way more focused. You may reach fewer people, but you're reaching the people you care about. So don't get caught up in the vanity numbers. At the end of the day, as it relates to revenue, you're going to see your average deal size go up. You're going to see your actual deal velocity shrink. And you're actually going to see the deal flow increase. So to me, that's what I'm looking at. Am I trending in the right direction? It's a long-term play. Great. Thanks both. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.